Morning, everyone. Good morning to you at home as well, if you're watching our live stream. And uh, it's just an exciting week. This is Holy Week, and we get to do a lot of different things this week. Is a remembrance of what happened with Christ. Yeah, today is the Palm Sunday, which is a day of mixed emotions because Christ entered into Jerusalem with people shouting praises and worshiping and Hosanna to the King of Kings. Yet in his mind, he knew he was headed to a cross. In a few days, he was going to, we're going to have celebrate Good Friday. Remember, not celebrate, I'll say, <laughs> commemorate uh, the death of Christ. And it's, of course, followed by Easter. We, we know the whole story. We, we know how it ends. And uh, actually, we, we know what's going to happen next because we're still a part of that story. It's not a finished story. We're right in the middle of it all. Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to draw a straight line from Christ's crucifixion on the cross, which we commemorate on Good Friday, to every Christian. He's going to start off this chapter by saying that just as Christ was sacrificed on a cross for us, we also should be living sacrifices. And then he's going to, throughout the rest of the chapter of 12, give us some practical examples and what that looks like. If you are fully committed to him, if you are giving your life totally into his hands, it should have characteristics uh, that resemble Jesus himself. So um, let me just open this uh, moment with prayer, and then we'll continue. Father God, this is your day that you set apart for worship. You called us out into your kingdom. You placed your seal, your Holy Spirit, in our hearts, who guides us each day who teaches us, who reveals truth to us, who convicts us of our sin, and who restores us in relationships when we repent and reconcile. Thank you, God, for every person that's in this room today, for their desire to hear from you, to know you, to serve you, to worship you, and I pray blessings upon them. Guide the message that the hearers would hear what you would have uh, said in their hearts and minds. I pray in Christ's name, amen. This past week, I... Went to the dentist is not my favorite thing to have to do, uh, but I've gone there many times over the years since <laughs> I was just a kid. Uh, and my dentist told me, uh, I, asked, I asked how he's doing. I always want to know what's going on in his life as well. And he says, well, this weekend, my wife and I are going to run the Boston Marathon. And that's a 26-mile marathon. And he was kind of surprised. He says, I've done it a few times, but this year my wife qualified, and she's not even really a runner. So it mustn't be that hard, I guess. No. <laughs> so they're going to be running with 30,000 other competitors. And at all different age groups, you can sign up. And there's qualifiers to be able to run in the race. If you're age 18 to 34, you need to do this race uh, before you go. They're certified at three, uh, at three hours even if you're a man and three hours, 30 minutes if you're a woman. Age 50 to 59, which is my category, I get to do it in three hours and 35 minutes. Women, you can do it in four, just over four, four, sorry, four hours uh, to qualify. So, I mean, you can be training, you can be a runner, you can be running around the block every day, you're running your own mini marathon, but if you want to enter this race, there's certain qualifications that you have to meet in order to participate. So the best time so far for running the best Boston Marathon was done by Jeffrey Mutai in 2011. He did it in two hours and three minutes. If you just decide to take your time running the Boston Marathon, you actually get to um, use up to six hours to complete the race. So I think maybe next year I'll try and qualify. 
this year it's a little late. So when we give our lives to Christ, as it's talking about in Romans 10, 9, and 10, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you know, we, we, we become qualified to enter God's kingdom. We become his child. We give our lives to Christ and we, we get to be called his children. That, that gets us into the kingdom. But there's more than just being in the kingdom. In this chapter, Paul is going to say, I'm going to give, give you a challenge. I want you to actually enter into a race. I want you to start um, looking at uh, what it looks like to be spirit-filled, what it looks like to be all in in this Christian life. It's not just being a Christian or becoming a child of God, but it's more than that. Because if you want to really experience the full meaning of uh, what God has in store for us as his people, an abundant life, uh, there's ways of achieving that. Uh, in our life. So Romans 12, it is an a- another action-packed chapter, and uh, predominantly it talks about living the Christian life, a life that differs from what we generally find in the world around us. So just as Jesus bucked the trends, swam against the current, challenged the status quo, and gave us a- an example of how to live, so we also should walk in his steps, as the scriptures say. So I kind of want to Approach this chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, you might as well go ahead and turn and follow along. It's always great to have your own personal Bible because then you can underline things and put little stars beside things as well. My Bible, it's all color-coded and margins written in there, lots of notes along the way. It is truly a study Bible. It's not an artifact that I keep. So uh, Paul is going to... Start a little fire underneath the church in Rome. Uh, he's, he's wanting them to get up and to participate and to be fully engaged. And so he's actually writing to Christians, the church in Rome, and he starts off by asking them to be fully committed. He says it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, um, when he says, I appeal to you, he could, you could use words as, I beseech you, I, uh, I invite you, I implore you, because of the great love God has for you, or because of his great heart of compassion. So if I was to summarize this verse or paraphrase it, it, I would say something like, in light of God's great compassion and love for you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, as an act of worship, to be fully committed into his service. So he's talking about a living sacrifice. Uh, what is, he, what is he talking about exactly? Because in the Old Testament, there was five kinds of sacrifices. Uh, one was a, a voluntary burnt offering for sins, signifying uh, com, a complete devotion to God. One was voluntary grain offerings, or like offerings of first fruits that could bring your produce to God and offer it as a sacrifice. Mandatory sin offering, if you messed up and you wanted to be made right with God, you had to bring an offering, a sacrifice to make up. Something had to die in your place. And then there's a guilt offering. If you, if you hurt someone or offended someone or did someone wrong, then you could bring that offering. All of these were different kinds of sacrifices and a, a peace offering. So people have actually compared Christ to all five of these offerings, that he fulfilled these offerings, these sacrifices in his death. Uh, death for sacrifice for sins, for guilt, uh, making peace between us and God, that type of thing. But in the Old Testament, when you brought a sacrifice, you didn't go home with anything. You had to leave it there. It was fully dedicated. It was 
given to the priest. Um, often the animal sacrifice with a lamb or a, a goat or a, a, a young bull or whatever it would be, pigeons sometimes if you were poor, that, that was placed on the altar. And uh, this, the priest would often cut it in half. The blood of the animal would be put on the four corners of, of the, the altar where the horns were. And uh, depending on what, if it was burnt offering or different things would happen to it, but you always left it. You didn't come home with, with anything. In the, in the New Testament, it, it changes because Christ becomes the ultimate sacrifice for us. He places himself on the cross to become the, all of these sacrifices in one so that once for all, we no longer have to bring uh, every year a, a sacrifice or every month or trying to get a, uh, right with God because Christ did that on our behalf. Our job is to believe in him and trust in him and live a life worthy of our calling as Christians. So the, it shifts in the New Testament, different kind of a sacrifice, such as the, uh, the expensive perfume with which Mary anointed Jesus in Bethany prior to his crucifixion, such as at the burial of Jesus, Nicodemus brought, it says it's like 75 to 100 pounds of oils and spices to, to prepare Christ's body for, for, for uh, burial. I think about the 12 disciples. They gave up everything to follow him. Even Paul or Peter says at one point, you know, what about us? We, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, don't worry, you're, you're going to be rewarded for all that you have given up. So what Paul is actually talking about, more than uh, giving up ourselves, it's, uh, or what we have, uh, he's not asking for perfume or uh, for spices or that kind of thing. He's asking for us. He wants us to be giving ourselves into his service full stop. You know, it's, it's sometimes a bit creepy thinking about, okay, sacrifice and death and all these things, but it, it's, it's a metaphor in some ways that we die to ourselves. that when we, when we become a Christian, we, we have to take up our cross. And when we give ourselves into his hands, we get so much, so much more back than we ever can get. We don't have a lot to give compared to what Christ has to offer. It's not a fair trade. We give him us, and he gives us everything else that is available to us. I remember hearing a story about a, a small child whose uh, favorite possession was a cheap plastic necklace that looked like pearls. And that she wore it everywhere. I mean, she wore it to sleep and wore it to school, wore it wherever. She wore her necklace, and one day her dad said, can I have that? And she says, no, and she runs away. And so later on in the day, he says, hey, can would you give me that necklace? No, Daddy, it's my favorite. And she, she goes away. Third time, later that night, he says, Honey, would you give me that necklace? And she looks at him and thinks for a bit and takes it off and hands it to her dad. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a real pearl necklace and hands it to her. He says, now, you know, uh, now that you value this, you know how important it is, you would take care of it. But he had this pearl necklace in his pocket all along, but she was holding on to the cheap plastic one all along until she was willing to give that up. She didn't know what she was going to get in return. And I can't even imagine what God has in store for those whose lives are fully devoted to him. So how do you present your body? Let's get practical here. How do you present your body as a living sacrifice? Well, Paul gives us a hint a couple of chapters ago in Romans 6, verse 13. 
He says, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. He's wanting us to be all in, not to look back. Every day, check in with God to say, hey, what's on your agenda for me today? If you start off by reading his word, you can get some really interesting thoughts for the day that might help you in your decision-making that day in whatever situation you're going to face. He has a word for you. He's got, uh, there's, there's moments where it's astounding exactly what you read in the morning devotion time is what comes to play later that day. Because he, he loves you and he wants to be a part of your life, daily life. Check in with him at the beginning. And he'll lead you through the rest of the day. Ask him where he wants you to serve. How do you want, God, how do you want me to represent you? How can I bring glory to you throughout the day? 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are co-workers with God. In other words, we're in his kingdom, uh, accomplishing his will uh, in our life and in, with those around us. But we're partners. He's not sending us off on a mission every day that we come and report back. He's going with us, empowering us, leading us, guiding us, giving us the wisdom we need, the discernment we need co-workers, assistants, ambassadors, messengers, vessels that he chooses to use. So a living sacrifice involves our physical, our spiritual, our mental, our intellectual, and our emotional being all at the same time. We're all in. I mean, he, he controls our mind. He, he gives us thoughts to think. He, he helps us with our emotions, controlling that anger when we want to be mad at what just happened to us. He's saying, no, no, remember what I'm going to say in Romans 12. We'll get there in a minute. Remember these things. In fact, we're going to look at nearly 30 commands that he gives us in about nine verses. Uh, just a checklist of how are you doing looking like Jesus. This whole idea of dying to self, uh, it permeates all of the New Testament. In Matthew 16, it says, if you want to be my follower, you have to die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Philippians uh, 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Actually, death, I'm not afraid of death. <laughs> I, I want to live a life right now that honors Jesus. When death comes, yeah, I'm not worried. I'm not afraid because it's a, it's, a, it's a bonus. We get to be with Jesus face to face. Romans 8, 13, a couple of chapters ago, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then Romans 6, 4, we are buried with Christ in our baptism, and we're raised to walk a new life. So it's, it's a constant struggle. We, we, we die to ourselves, we live to Christ. We, we die to the world, we live to the kingdom. It's a, it's a daily kind of an activity. But in the end, God isn't really looking for dead people. He's not looking for a bunch of sacrifices walking around. What he's looking for is our obedience, is our love. It's, a, it's, a, it's the reciprocity idea that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. If we believe in him, we can have eternal life. It is the least we can do is an act of worship, is to dedicate our lives into his service. It's like it's, it's an exchanged life. He dies for us. And we live for him. It's a partnership that we have with, with Jesus. The prophet Samuel says to King Saul, Does the Lord, hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than that of the fat of rams. He's saying, you know, 
We're going to need to be in a relationship with God. This whole chapter 12 is saying this is a, it's an, it's a partnership life that we, we let God live through us. And, and in turn, he blesses us beyond our imagination. We listen to his voice. We let his spirit guide us. We, we let him lead us. And it's something that he delights in. He has fun blessing his children. He <laughs> delights in helping us through the, t- the tough times and, and uh, giving us the, the blessings that he's wanting us to be. So Romans 8, 29, remember what we read a couple of weeks ago. Those who he foreknew, he chooses them to be conformed to the image of his son. So in verse 2, chapter 12, we're going kind of slow. We'll pick up the speed in a minute. Verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The New Living Translation says it this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So what does uh, conforming to the world look like? Well, I, I, I've had some... Um, two people came to my house, give me a quote on a furnace, an air conditioner. After last summer, like, how are you going to survive? So we're getting a quote for an air conditioner. So the first person came, $8,000. Ooh. That's a lot of money. The second person came and uh, gave me a quote for the same basic stuff, $15,000. And I said, you know what? Why, why are you even telling me those numbers? Like, I have an $8,000 quote right here already. Fifteen? Like, why would I even be talking to you? Well, that's what it costs. I said, I'm not going to pay that. Said, well, let me, give you, let me just call my boss. Calls the boss and... He's got a quote for eight already, so... so. Okay, well, it looks like we can do it for like $7,800. <laughs> I don't know what magic happened over the phone. But cheating or shortchanging a customer is the way the world works. Responding to a criticism in anger is how the world works. Intimidating others or lying to get what you want is how you conform to the world. Employing cancel culture if somebody hurts you. Write them off. That's how the world acts. To spread rumors about someone to ruin their reputation. That's conforming to the world's ways. Paul says, stop it. He says, that's not what God is like and that's not who we are. There are a lot of people who want to know what God's will is. I don't know God's will. What's God's will? He says, well, okay, first you've got to work on your mind. You've got to start thinking like Jesus. You like, let the Holy Spirit conform you into the image of Christ, but he's got to transform the way you think out of the world's ways into kingdom ways. So that's what Jesus did for three and a half years to his disciples. He helped change their thinking from how the world thinks into how the kingdom thinks. Three and a half years of mind molding and helping to see that, you know, you don't have to be first. In fact, the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first. It's like, if you want to be great, you want to be important, we'll start serving. Here, here's a towel, wash everyone else's feet. They're going, what are you talking about? Says, yeah, exactly. We do things different in my kingdom. And, and you need to learn to think like kingdom people. A friend of God will be an enemy of the world. And a friend of the world will be an enemy of God. You have to choose. There's no fence sitting, no lukewarm people, no half-hearted followers in God's kingdom. Don't look to the world to set the standards or goals of your life. The world should not tell us how to think or how to act or react. It's not our judge or jury. 
We have a higher calling. We rise above what the world expectations are to what God's expectations are. We are different. We're chosen. We're born again. We're called out of darkness into the light of his presence. We are his children, his people, and his joy. And he's got different standards for his people. And so he goes on to talk about that. Verse 3, he says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What he's saying is, don't be too proud of yourself. Just remember that I've given you all that you have, that I've placed where you are, that I'm working in you. I bless you, not because of how wonderful you are, but because of how wonderful I am, God says. I love you, and I will treat you that way. Philippians 2 says, though he was by nature God, Jesus did not consider himself, uh, did not consider equality with God a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. And when he was born in human likeness, and his appearance was that of, like of any other man, he, he humbled himself. He basically showed us what he's talking about. Jesus did not flout the fact that he's the son of God. He did not try to impress people with his miracles. He didn't try to stand on some pedestal above everyone else. He got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet to show them what it looks like to be a servant. Though I don't think it's telling us not to be proud of our accomplishments or proud of what our kids do, but I think it's saying have a right perspective. Think about things in a right way. Don't set yourself above other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. I'm not a great artist. Others are. I can play some piano and trumpet, but I'm not a great musician. Others are. I can write books. Others don't seem to be able to write a letter. I can do small repairs on cars at home. I can encourage people. I can communicate biblical truth half decently. I can think clearly and take charge in a time of crisis. Um, I can see a picture of of where, where church can be in five to ten years down the road. Others can't see past lunchtime. It's like we, we all have certain skills. We all have things we can do, but there's a ton of things we can't do. To see that every, other people are far better than I am at a lot, a, a lot of things. And that's okay. That's how God created them. But to have a proper perspective so that when it comes time to be employed in God's service and God's kingdom, we know we, have, we can contribute. We can step up. We can be a leader when the, when the church needs a leader. So he, he talks about this uh, in the next few verses. In verse 4, uh, in, in the body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body and individually members of one another. So if you have gifts according to the grace given to us, let's use them. If you can prophesy, do it. If, if you can serve others, yeah, go ahead, serve. If you can teach, do so in the church. If you can exhort, do, do that. Do it well. If you can contribute or give generously, that's your, that's your job. If you are a leader, do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it, do it happily and cheerfully. The saying we all have a thing that we can contribute. Don't think that you're better than anyone else in the church because you're not. The only one that's better than anyone in the church is Jesus because he's the head. He's the boss. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So He's encouraging believers to start using their spiritual gifts to encourage and help others in the church. If you're not serving, you're not contributing. You're not helping to encourage people. You're not, you, know, you can serve in the children's ministry. You can help with ushering. You can help with, with creative uh, online. Uh, help us with our website. Help us get in the community. Help us figure out how to reach uh, people groups that, that we don't have represented in our church. There's tons of things to do 
through the church. So he just says, get start. And the church is where I learned uh, I could lead I could lead singing. I could read music. I started leading the choirs and leading congregations. It was a church that taught me and gave me a chance to be a leader. Um, I never thought I'd be a preacher. That was something my brother and my dad did. That's their, but they couldn't lead music. Oh, they couldn't lead music. They couldn't <laughs> sing. I just told my brother, you just sit over there, try your best, you know. <laughs> Leave the singing to the rest of us. So this is part of the sanctification process that we contribute in. We, we, um, we, we join in with the Spirit of God. He's, he's giving us roles to play. He's giving us places to serve. And then he says, okay, here's what, I, here's what I want to see as you begin to look more and more like Jesus. It begins in verse 9. If you're going to really run this race and live the life, truly follow Jesus, here's some things that will begin to um, stand out in your life. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, and repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I would love us to be heaping burning coals on lots of people's heads. <laughs> you do that by blessing them. I remember, oh, I, we were on a youth trip, and one of my teenagers was so exhausted from working so hard uh, that day, he just fell asleep on the... The, the bed cover didn't take it down, like the quilt. How dare he? And his host lady was so mad. What's wrong with you? You're born in a barn. Like, and he came to me and says, I got really messed up. I got yelled at today. I said, okay, we'll get some flowers. And we'll take it to her and maybe throw some chocolates in and just say, so sorry. You've been so kind and generous to me. I just want to thank you for all that you've done. And she came and said to me, what's wrong with that kid? I was yelling at him, and he gives me presents. I said, yeah, we appreciate you. And says, okay. It works, actually. Do good things to those that are messing around with you, that are criticizing you behind their back. You know, bless them, and they, it'll play with their mind. They don't know what's going on. But that's what Jesus does. He goes countercultural. He swims upstream. He, he doesn't go with the status quo, and people don't know how to manage him because he, he didn't do anything to, to get retribution. He was on the cross. He said, I could have called 10,000 angels to get me off this cross and wipe all of you guys out, but I loved you too much, and I died for you too. He's demonstrated to us what it looks like to love our enemies. Verse 21 do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's kind of the summary here. Don't let evil in this world and its standards mess around with you. 
Don't let it get you down. You're, you're bigger than that. You've got a higher calling. The Spirit of God is in you. Who, uh, the one that's in you is, is greater than the one that is in the world. You're going to have an eternal impact on others. If you want to do that, you need to employ a kingdom methodology. You can't get kingdom results with the world's methods. The world's methods get you the world's results. We've got better methodology in the kingdom of God because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So in the end, Paul is not really asking more from us than Christ was willing to give us. Christ gave everything for us, and we exchanged life. He died for us so we didn't have to, so we will live for him, and we will see his results working through us. This is Holy Week. I've uh, written a devotional for you to, to work through. It begins today on Palm Sunday. There's just some readings representing what each, each of these days of the week um, are about there's a place for prayer. You can write notes in here, what God is saying to you. Work through it. Um, maybe work through it with your husband or wife or a friend or family member as a family around the dinner table. And then Tuesday night, we're going to meet together here and have what I call an encounter with God. We're going to pray together, sing together, and uh, just let this week uh, wash over us. That what was going through Christ, what was at stake and the power of God displayed on the Sunday when he rose him from the dead. So join us on Tuesday night at 7. It'll be a great time of connecting again with family. And um, I was talking at a funeral to a fellow on Friday. I'll end with this. And he came up to me and said, I just retired and I told, told my, my friends, he said, you, I'm, gonna, I'm looking back over my life and I don't like what I see. It's time to change things up, and you might, not like, you might not like me in the end. He said he quit drinking, he quit hanging out with bad influences, he quit going to the bars, and he spent more time with his kids and his grandkids and trying to be a person that others liked. And uh, he lost some friends, because why don't you come to the bar? You're too good to go to the bar with us anymore? I was like, no, I, I told you, I don't want to end my life the way I've been living so far. I need to be a different person. And Paul is saying a living sacrifice. You know, we don't, we're not here just to exist. We're here to, to, to win the race, to run the race well, to experience all that God has to offer us. But you've got to make the commitment. You've got to make the, the, the effort. You've got to do the training. You've got to get involved. Don't just sit on the sidelines watching God use other people. Don't, don't just watch other people lead others to Christ or other people get the blessings. All of us together are supposed to experience that. We're all living sacrifices, and we should treat each other that way too. Given wholly unto God for his use. Father God, this is your day again. I pray, Father, that your message would have come through. Your spirit would be teaching us and guiding us to be the person you want us to be. Moms and dads, husbands, wives, students, singles, grandparents, whatever age, it's never too late to get in the race, to let you do amazing things through us, because that's what you do. Father, we don't know the number of days we have left, but I pray that each day we use will be used for your glory and your purposes, so that we don't miss what you planned for us. Thank you for this church and its willingness to seek and to serve you. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. <laughs>